All right, can you turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 8, again this morning. I, um, I had a little surgery on my finger this week, and um, as I was coming out of sedation, the nurse was telling Betty that, um, okay, he's going to have pain when the nerve block wears off. He's going to have pain, and um, you need to give him, they prescribe Percocet, and um, and he's just to be a man of leisure for the next 24 hours. What man doesn't love to hear that coming from a doctor? This, you must be a man of leisure for the next 24 hours. Now, my wife had a standing invitation from my daughter to go to the ocean the next day. And uh, the surgery was in the afternoon. And so um, later that evening, Betty called my daughter and said, I, uh, I'm not going to go to the ocean with you tomorrow. I need to stay here and take care of my husband. And I went, oh, that's sweet problem was the next morning I got up and I still didn't have any pain I, I think it's the, the steroids I'm on for my autoimmune disease hides everything I didn't even take a Tylenol to cover the pain so I do have some Percocet for sale uh, <laughs> I forgot I said that in the first service and somebody came up to me after the service and said I'd be interested I'd be in the market for that <laughs> just a joke a very bad joke so. um so anyway, then I, then I felt bad, and, and, and Betty felt bad too that she hadn't gone to the ocean. Uh, she loves the ocean. I can take it or leave it. I prefer leaving it, um, but she loves the ocean. But anyway, isn't that what families do? Families are there for each other. We take care of each other. We're in each other's corner. We're for each other. This is the kind of reason that the late Princess Diana said, family is the most important thing in the world. Actor Michael J. Fox said it in a little bit more poetic fashion. He said, um, family isn't an important thing. It's everything. Now, there are some religious groups who look at the family and they conclude that um, the family is, is, is not only something here for on earth, but it, it goes on into eternity and we have a special relationship there with the people that uh, are our blood relatives here on earth. For example, the Church of the Latter-day Saints, the Mormon Church, this is right from one of their documents, says families can be together forever. To enjoy this blessing, we must be married in the temple. When people are married outside the temple, the marriage ends when one of the partners die. If we keep our covenants with the Lord, our families will be united eternally as husband, wife, and children. Death cannot separate us. Now that's interesting because my guess is that every one of you who, were, who got married said something like this at your uh, at the marriage altar when you made your vows till death do us part it's the understanding that when one partner dies that unique bond here on earth is broken ends and we see spouses who are widows or widowers getting married again and we even know from scripture that this idea that you can take this relationship this family relationship on into the next life jesus said no that's not true when the sadducees were trying to trap jesus they were telling the story about a couple that were married and then the husband died and, and under Israelite Leverite law, the brother of the dead man would then marry his widow so that he could have children in the dead man's name. And so they threw out this story where the widow gets married to then the brother and then he dies before they have any children and she gets married to another brother and he dies and seven, she kills off seven brothers. <laughs> before they have any children. 
And so the question put to Jesus is, whose wife is she when they get to heaven? And do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, no, you, you don't understand eternity. Because in heaven, there's no marrying, there's no giving in marriage, there is no marriage in heaven. And so this kind of idea that that we might be able to take this natural family into heaven is not grounded in Scripture. I want us to look at some words that Jesus said today that um, are about family that might shock us a bit. And so get your big boy pants on. We're going to read these verses out of Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 19. Let me pray for us before we begin. Ask God for his help, for his uh, insight, clarity, understanding, and maybe even some challenge. Father, when we read the word of God, we uh, acknowledge that we come to it with, um, with a heart that is in its natural state resistant. Because you have taught us and you teach us and you will teach us things that are about your glory and our good, but our good in a way that we might not think about them as our good. Just like if we're trying to lose weight, but man, those potato chips are so good, but somebody tells us, no, it will be, it will be better for you if you don't eat the potato chips, like, but, the, but they're so good. And you tell us things that are for our good, but they don't seem necessarily to be for our good. And I think what we're about to read might be one of those instances. So we, we pray for open hearts, receptive hearts, God-submitted hearts, and that the Spirit would speak to us, and the Spirit who knows us individually and perfectly would speak to us in individual ways about applications and implications. Again, we pray against the enemy who hates you, who hates your purposes, who hates your plans, who hates your aspirations for us. Pray that he would be muzzled, bound this morning, and that instead the Spirit would have free reign to work through the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 19. Now, let me set this up. Um, three weeks ago, we read the parable of the soils. Remember that? talks about four different kinds of people and their receptivity to the word of God. The first three, not very receptive. The first one wasn't receptive at all, had a hard heart. The second two were initially receptive, but then things of the, this life distracted them and they collapsed. The, the plants that started died. Only the fourth kind of soil was receptive. The word of God was planted well in the soil of their lives and they bore fruit. And then the following Sunday, we saw some Proverbs that, that Jesus gave out that at first glance didn't seem to have anything to do with the soils. But remember, we talked about how Jesus, the key line in there was Jesus was admonishing followers to be careful how you listen to the word of God. Be careful how you listen, because that may be determined whether or not you become a child of God or a faithful servant of God. Be careful how you listen. Now, this event that we're about to read is connected to the parable of the soils as well. In fact, if you read it in Matthew and Mark, you're going to find it placed uh, not after the soils, but right before the parable of the soils. It's, it, it's, it's intended to link up with listen well. 
and respond well and be my follower. Here's what happened. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they couldn't get to him because of the crowd. Now, Jesus had at least four brothers. Four of them are named in Mark chapter 6. And we know he had at least two sisters. It's, they're not named, but it refers to them in a plural. So he has at least six half-siblings. Same mother, different father, right? Jesus' father is father in heaven. So he's got six siblings. No mention of Joseph anywhere in the uh, lifetime of Jesus' adult ministry. We presume that he has uh, passed away by now. So they come to see him. Someone tells Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to see you. Now stop there. Don't look at the next verse. I can imagine somebody like Jesus, a nice guy like Jesus, hears the news about his family, being there, want to talk to him, want to see him, that he would do one of two things. He would say, tell them I'll be right there. Just have to finish up with this person. I'll be right out. So glad they came to see me. Or say, John, can you take care of this person? My parents, my family's here. I want to go see my family. I'll be back later. That is not even close to what happens. Verse 21. Jesus replied, My mother and my brothers are all those who hear God's word and obey it. In fact, the account of this in Matthew, Jesus points to his disciples around him and said, These guys... This is my mother, and these are my brothers, these folks, even though I'm not related to them by blood. Now, I want you to imagine that you are Jesus' mother. Guys, that's a real stretch, but ladies, you can follow along here. You imagine you're Jesus' mother, and you're close enough that when Jesus says this, you hear him. Oh, I'm just imagining Mary goes, Say, what? Are you kidding me? Don't you know what it was like for me when I was 12, 13, 14 years old and I was pregnant? And there's no father around. I'm not married. And all of the hubbub in town and all of the rumors running all over town and all of the looks that I got and the whispers behind my back. And I, bore, I carried you for nine months, and the last month I couldn't even lay down and sleep. I had to sit in a lazy boy. And then I gave birth to you in the kind of pain you will never, ever know. And I'd get up nights to feed you, night after night after night after night, a couple times a night, change your messy diapers. Ugh. And you're getting bigger and bigger, but you can't walk yet, so I carry you around on my hip all the time. And you have the nerve to say, these guys are your mother? Am I right, ladies? Who in the world does he think he is? Now, I want to give us some biblical background here because there are two dangers this morning. One is that we draw overreaching conclusions about how we're to relate to our natural families. By natural, I mean your blood relatives. 
supernatural family is a family of faith, one that will go on into eternity. So we have a natural family of blood relatives, but it's temporary. And then we have a supernatural family that are um, blood-bought relatives, right? Permanent goes on into eternity. So the one extreme is that we draw some wrong conclusions about our natural family and underemphasize it. The other danger is that we draw some wrong conclusions about our natural fam- family and overemphasize it. And there are religious groups, cults especially, who have done that, who have over, uh, uh, overemphasized the family, uh, their religious family to the exclusion of the natural family. And so think of uh, people like... Uh, even here among our own culture, the Amish. If you leave the Amish church after you've been baptized, you're shunned. There are certain social restrictions that are on you, even among your natural family members. And, I, and we have folks here from Amish background who can speak to this much more authoritatively than I could. But there's this idea that, that you, you've out, you're outside of our group now, and so we in the natural family cut you off to a degree. There is a, um, a splinter Catholic church in the world called the Palmarian Catholic Church. It was established in 1978 by a uh, former, in Spain, by a former Spanish insurance broker named Dominguez. And he decided he was going to reform the Catholic Church. He named himself Pope. There's only about 1,500 to 2,500 members worldwide. One of them was a woman by the name of Bridget, uh, Bridget Crosby in Ireland. Uh, Bridget was 84 two years ago when she suddenly passed away in her home. And nobody found her for two months. Despite the fact that she has family living in that town, in her town. Her family said when she became a member of the Palmarian Church, uh, she she put on a long dark dress. She wore a, a habit like a nun would wear around her head and walked through town like that. And even if she came across family members in town, those who still live there, she wouldn't talk to them. If family members came to her house and knocked on the door, she might open the door just to see who was there, and if she saw it was a family member, a non-Palmarian member, she closed the door wouldn't even talk to them. So there's nobody in her natural family who's connected with her, who's looking after her, who's looking in on her. She dies and nobody knows it. We have some of this kind of overemphasis on the family of faith in, in Islam. And so we all know the tragic stories of fathers killing their daughters, uncles killing their nieces, uh, brother killing a brother or killing a, a son. Some of you are here last year when we had uh, uh, a Saudi Christian speak to us. Al-Fadi, he goes by the name of Al-Fadi. It's not his real name. And the reason he doesn't go by his real name is because a number of people are looking to kill him, including his blood brother. And the whole idea is if you leave Islam or if you act too Western, um, you've brought shame on our family because, not just the family name, but because we're good Muslims. And so the family of faith takes precedence. And we block out normal, natural ties with the natural family. Now, we we have to ask ourselves, is that what Jesus was promoting here? 
And the answer from Scripture is clearly not. If you remember the story in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus got left behind in Jerusalem when he was 12 years old. The family, extended family, were going back from the Passover celebration there. They're going back to Nazareth. And probably other people from Nazareth as well. The entourage could have been 70, 100 people. And they, mom and dad just assumed that Jesus is somewhere in, in this group. They're heading back to Nazareth. They make camp for the night, and they look, and lo and behold, Jesus is with them. They go back to uh, Jerusalem, and they spend the next three days trying to find this guy, only to find that he's, in, he's been in the temple the whole time, talking with the religious leaders, having theological discussions. He's asking them questions. They're asking him questions, and they're amazed at the answers that he gives. And we're going to get back to the initial comment when Jesus' mom shows up and she's miffed, as any mother would, should be, that the son has been so thoughtless that he hasn't pointed out, I'm going to stay behind, I'm going to stay behind in Jerusalem and talk with the religious leaders here. She's miffed. And he has a, a word for her that we're going to get back to in a minute. But the next sentence says that he went back home with his mother and father and was obedient to them. So there's no picture here that Jesus portrays that says, I'm, I'm not to be obedient to my mom and dad, my natural family. In Jesus' ministry one time, he taught about, uh, he was critical of the Pharisees who, who were, had this little trick that they played with money. Money that they didn't want to spend on aging parents, but that they should have. They said, no, 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 I, I have this, uh, these thousands of dollars. I, I, mom's hungry, dad doesn't have a place to stay, but this is my money, this is Corbin. And what Corbin was, this is a special financial gift devoted to God. I don't give it to God, but it's reserved for God. And so I can't spend it on my parents. And yet if they spotted a new boat they'd like, they could extract it from this Corbin category and buy the boat or a new RV, and on and on and on. And Jesus says, you're playing spiritual games to get out of your responsibility to your family. But to me, the most concrete evidence that Jesus never intended for his followers to teach that you abandon your responsibilities to your natural family came when he was hanging on the cross. And in all that agony, all that excruciating pain that he was in, he looks down at his mother, Mary, and he says to her, dear woman, this is your son. He looks over at his disciple John, and then he says to John, this is your mother. And the next line says that John took her home with him, and we presume that he took care of Jesus' mother as long as she lived. Jesus never meant for us to get this idea that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, wash our hands of responsibilities to family, that we don't care about family, that we don't engage with family, that we don't love family. We could go to many scriptures that talk about being how you, how you should be as a follower of Jesus, as a husband, as a wife, as a mom or dad, as a relative, as how do we love these people in our family. So all of that evidence is there to tell us we're not, we can't condone the extremes that some religious groups or cults do when it comes to the natural family. However, and this is what Jesus said to his mother Mary when she showed up in Jerusalem when he was 12. Didn't you know 
that I must be about my father's business? Mary, mom, you had this incredibly unusual experience. You, you got pregnant and you were never intimate with a, a man. God's angel told you that the boy that you were going to give birth to would save his people from their sins. Don't you remember all of this? And you did the Father's will there, even though it was terribly hard and, and it brought some shame and reproach on your family, but you did it. Don't you realize that I, too, have a first priority that I must do my Father's will above all else? There is a preeminent loyalty that Jesus calls us to have to the supernatural family. Supernatural family. That means your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting. When Jesus was talking uh, or when the family showed up to speak to Jesus in this text we read, it doesn't appear that they were followers yet. In fact, John chapter 7 Jesus having a conversation with his disciples, uh, I'm sorry, with his brothers, and they, did, they were mocking him. You, you're, you claim to be the Messiah, and you're doing all these miraculous things, but you've been doing out of the limelight, all right? The Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles is coming up. Why don't you go down to Jerusalem and strut your stuff there? Make your public announcement there about who you are. Show yourself to the world if you're the Messiah. And Jesus said to them, any time is right for you, but it's not my time yet. Meaning, if I go to Jerusalem now, they're going to kill me. And it's not time for that to happen yet. Any time's right for you, but not for me. And then verse 5 says this, even his brothers did not believe in him. And Mark chapter 3, there's an interesting incident where, just like in this text, mom and the boys show up. Jesus, it describes Jesus as ministering. Things were so crazy with so many people around needing healing and demons cast out of them. It says in the text that Jesus didn't even have enough time to eat. And on the heels of that statement, it says that the mom and the brothers showed up to take charge of him because they thought he was out of his mind. Again, this is the woman who conceived a child without a man. This is a woman who had encounters with angels, apparently did not fully grasp yet who her son was and what he was about, what he was to do. So when Jesus is pointing to his disciples around the room and favoring them as family over Mary and the boys, the brothers, he's saying, this is my supernatural family. This is my forever family. Now, we know at least some of the boys saw the light. James became the pastor at, at the church in Jerusalem. We know Jude wrote uh, one of the books of the New Testament. That's his, uh, Jesus' step, step half-brother as well. And we presume that Mary got it. But Jesus is saying, okay, this, this is my forever family. This is my supernatural family. This is my permanent family. And there's a priority that I have with them, for them. The Bible tells us something that is, I think, troubling for us who love family. Let me take you to Matthew chapter 10. These are going to be hard words to hear. Beginning of verse 34. This is all words from Jesus. 
Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Now, this is, a, this is an important word to hear and place in the back of our minds when we hear words like out of Isaiah 53, where it says Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And we make conjectures from that that aren't warranted, such as in the church, for example, Peace is always the desired outcome. No, it's not. Christ is always the desired outcome. Following Christ is always the desired outcome. Peace in my family. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to talk about Jesus at the Christmas family get-together because I don't, I don't want to make waves and I don't want there to be friction because God surely wants to have peace. No, no. God surely wants everyone to have Jesus. Jesus divides I have come, verse 35, I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be right in your own household. If you love, swallow deep, if you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me. Think about Abraham and Isaac for a minute. If you love your son or daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. John Piper says, radical obedience to Jesus relativizes natural relationships. If you're going to follow Jesus, come what may, there are going to be points in time where it's going to upset some of your family members. It, it's going to draw you away from a, family a natural family gathering for a supernatural family gathering if you are radically serious about obeying Jesus Christ. Now, because this area is so um, um, such a potential area of um, unbiblical implications I'm, what I'm about to give you are four possible implications of what Jesus said here and what I reason I say possible I don't I don't want to take this text and apply it for you because I think there are different people here that God has different implications and applications for from this text and usually the trouble that I described at the outset where groups saying you've got to cut off all ties with your natural family that's coming because the church leadership or the cult leadership is they make decisions for the people I, I don't I don't want to do that but I do want you to be vulnerable to what the Holy Spirit might try to say to you during these moments so I have four possible implications so again our supernatural family is a family of faith brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ that family is going to go on into eternity unlike your natural family will and God is, in this supernatural family, God is shaping it so that it supersedes natural families. And this family's priority, we're talking about the church of Jesus Christ, which universally includes all the followers of Jesus Christ for all times and around every place in the world. And yet the only, <laughs> the only expression of that is in a local church. So we are especially talking about a local church. 
This family's priority is not just camping together or eating holiday meals together, but it is fellowshipping in a way that is rooted in our common worship of Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior, as Lord and Savior. Now, the first two implications I'm going to suggest are ones for you if you are a minority Christian in your family. What I mean by that is that you, you're a believer, but you're, you're one of the only believers in your extended family, maybe even in your immediate family. Honor your parents, honor other family members, but stand firm in your faith, even if other family members object. Now, that might sound very basic and very simple, and I guess it is, but anyone who's ever tried to do it tells me it's really, really hard. And that the pressure that gets dialed up by other family members to, for you to abandon the faith, or at least dial it back a bit, is significant. And so I want to encourage you by the power of the Holy Spirit, honor your family members, but stand firm in your faith, even if some of them object. The second one, also to minority Christians. You probably especially will need to spend even more time than your majority Christian brothers and sisters with the supernatural family, the body of Christ. Why is that? Because some of the encouragement that I get from my children and from my siblings who know Christ, you don't have access to. Some of the shared conversations that are driven by common beliefs and common aspirations and a common faith, you don't have in your natural family. And so you especially need the, the benefit of more and more exposure to that supernatural family, to the body of Christ, family of faith. So spending more time with the church, perhaps, than people who have many Christians in their extended family. Now, here's the main one that I want to share with you, if you're like me, or majority Christians in our family. You and I have an obligation to other people in our supernatural family. We may not need as much input as the minority Christian does, but other people in our family of faith need the input. There are people here in this audience today that think what I'm about to share with you because they've moved into this community from somewhere else. Now, there are a lot of us here who've grown up in Lancaster County, and we go back generations. I do. I don't know how far, but way back. My wife's family, same way. Roots are deep here. Because our roots are deep here, we have a lot of friends here, and we have a lot of natural family members here, right? Twelve years ago, I was doing a, a wedding at a church in Lancaster, and uh, the woman had opened, opened the church up for us and uh, was providing um, support for sound and all that. We got to talking, and she and her husband had moved to Lancaster County 10 years before from Chicago. And uh, since we had lived in Chicago three years, I kind of sparked some conversation. But in the, during the conversation, she said this. She goes, we're here 10 years, and we still don't feel like we've broken in. We still feel like an outsider. And my wife and I found out what that was like when we passed in Michigan 
for two years. Again, a deeply rooted uh, community, a resort community, um, resort slash agriculture and some other things. And we, I pastored there for two years and we, we never did break in. And some of the reason for that is, again, we're doing so many things with our natural family. We, we have so many activities with them. We have so many dinners. My, uh, my wife and I have our kids and our grandkids over once a month on a Sunday evening if it suits them. Man, that's, that's 12 automatically a year. And then there are other times. Of course, there are holiday meals and so forth. And, and it may not be that we need the extra encouragement and admonition and, and all of that that comes from a supernatural family, but what about the other people in our supernatural family that do? That do. And feel like they're always on the outside looking in. Listen, brothers and sisters, this, these are the folks that we're going to spend eternity with, right? We... I, I know from conversations, countless conversations I've had with Christians in the wake of a loved one's death that a lot of Christians think that when they get to heaven, the first person they're going to see is the person who was most dear to them here on earth. Got a verse for that? Why would we think that? That's probably what we would like. But if Jesus says even, even this woman, is, she's not going to have a husband in heaven and he's not going to have a wife in heaven. Don't forget, we not only get new bodies, we get new minds, which changes how we think. And so that old song that says, you know, when I get to heaven, you know, I'm, I, meet, I meet Timothy and Titus and James. But, but who I'm really looking for is, is Jesus. It's, it's, we're not saved by a gospel of my natural family. We're saved by a supernatural gospel that has Jesus at the center of it. And in heaven, Jesus is the center of everything. Amen? Are you looking forward to that or not? Jesus is the big deal in heaven. And he should be the big deal here. And he should be the glue that draws us together as the people of God, the followers of Christ. And so we need to make some space for our brothers and sisters. Maybe get in a care group, not because you feel like you need the encouragement, you need the blessing, you need the, the people uh, praying for you, but maybe God wants you there so that you can be that for somebody else that doesn't have a natural brother and sister doing some of those things for them. For what it's worth. And then lastly whether you're a majority or a minority Christian in your family, in your natural family. Honor your family members, but do not let them stop you from taking a radical step of obedience that God calls you to. And we often think about this with a call to mission. I, I, I've seen some broken-hearted prospective missionaries who didn't know what to do when they felt the call of the mission field and mom and dad were pushing back like crazy. Christians, Christian parents, saying, man, if you, go, if you go there, I'll only see you once every three, four years. What about the grandkids that we'll never get to see? And mom and dad's understandable, natural, but ungodly objections 
break the heart of people who are simply trying to say yes to, to Christ. You do the best you can with honoring those loved ones. But don't ever make the mistake of placing the priority on the natural family when God has some supernatural calling on your life. You will never regret saying yes to God. But I can guarantee you, if you say yes to your parents and in the process have to say no to God, you will live to regret that. Maya Angelou, poet, activist, artist, says, I sustain myself with the love of family. You know, there are people all over this world who are unable to sustain themselves with the love for family. You know why? Because they've turned to Jesus Christ, and as a result, their family has cut them off. And we here in this country of great freedom and, and uh, you know, even family members that are Christian and we love and they love us, we should never let ourselves fall into the trap saying, I will be sustained by my family's love. No, no, no. We want to be sustained by the love of Jesus Christ. We want to be able to go where no man has gone before, sustained only by the love of Jesus Christ. We want to be able to do the kinds of things that we couldn't do in our flesh, sustained by the love of Jesus Christ. We want to even be able to go to our death if necessary, sustained only by the love of Jesus Christ. It's a bonus if we get the family's love. But at the end of the day, there's only one kind of love that can and will endure. And that's his love. Let's pray together. Father, may the the people that you nourish who have become co-sharers in the gospel become people that matter more and more to us, that are sweeter and sweeter to us. Not at all that we would kind of throw our parents and our kids and our siblings and our nieces and nephews under the bus, but that we would have a an eternal perspective on family that understands at some point we're going to be separated from some of our family. But that we will never ever be separated from our supernatural family, our blood-bought relatives, our permanent family. Help us, Lord. I, 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 as I said, I don't know for sure personal application for each person here. And I want to be careful not to, not to try to define that for each of us. But I also want to be careful to prod us to open up our maybe areas of resistance to say, God, I, <laughs> some of us might even need to admit, I've made natural family an idol. And, and it's taken me out of play in this area, in this area, in this area. The, where God wants me to in, be in play. And if that's the case, Lord, uh, make us receptive. 
Help us to lower the objections, lower the, the barriers, so that you, your spirit, and your word can speak to us. And then, over time, make us willing to be reshaped more and more into the image of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.